The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week on the Mike Wise Show, our guest has had a front row seat at the biggest NBA events, and he is gracing us with his presence today. But first, Darlene, do your thing! The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Yes, that's correct, Darlene. Thank you for all your work. This guy works even harder. Howard Beck, my friend from Bleacher Report, and someone who covered Kobe early in his career with the Los Angeles Daily News, and then full-time almost with the New York Times, because Kobe was always the story. Thank you for joining the program for the second time, Howard. Oh, no, my pleasure, of course. Anything for you, my man, uh, as long as you don't uh, just hand me some assignment to go drive off three hours into the wilderness to cover a prep <laughs> football game, we'll be all right. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know our background, Howard and I worked at the Sacramento Union today, together. I was, at that time, very big in the business. I was a prep editor at a defunct paper in Northern California. Howard was actually um, my prep, one of my prep stringers, and he would go out and cover games in the wilderness. And since then, he's become much bigger than me. He has more Twitter followers. He has oh, more, than a, uh, uh, and, and all I've got are memories. And one of them <laughs> is Howard Beck getting his job at the New York Times, which was pretty cool. It, uh, it but. Probably more for me, but I'm sure for him too. It um, it not only changes your how people look at you in the business, but almost it personally validates you in a way too. Like, oh wait, I got a job in the New York Times. I'm not a schlub after all. <laughs> you know, so, uh, <laughs> I, so, I, felt, I still felt pretty schlubby walking in there. I'm pretty sure I was like the only UC Davis grad in the building, but you know. <laughs> I, well, that's okay. I was the only Fresno State grad. Um, all go. right. So, so Howard Beck, as I said, he covered Kobe for many years. And he, I would say, other than Bill Plaschke and a couple other LA writers, um, really never played favorites with Kobe, but really got to, got to know him. And there was a genuine respect, whether at the end, whether you were critical of him or not, he, he let you know how he's feel and you never, and you never pulled any punches. When you saw the tribute over the weekend at the All-Star Game, um, I, I know before we got on the show today, that you said the Jennifer Hudson tribute really brought you to tears. The, the Jennifer Hudson tribute was amazing, incredibly moving. Um, you know, there, there have been, I mean, for, for a lot of us, I'm obviously not the only one, but for a lot of us who, who knew him, uh, a lot of tears shed over the last few weeks uh, watching the tribute that the Lakers did their first home game. That, I wasn't there for that, but I, I sat on my couch, watched it, and just was I just gutted. Um, but it was beautiful, and it was amazing. They did a phenomenal job. And then the NBA, you knew they would do this right. Like You knew that they would go all out to make sure that Kobe was honored in the, in the way that he should be at All-Star Weekend. And you know, start with naming the MVP trophy after him. Couldn't have been a, a more appropriate 
and, and, and in some ways obvious tribute, like the, the, the trophy did not have a name, which surprised me um, prior to this, but naming it for Kobe who wanted a record tying four times uh, just made the most sense in the world. And Kobe treated the all-star game like an actual competition, like it mattered. He always went all out and there's a reason he won four of those. And so it was a, a smart and very appropriate kind of, you know, you know, perpetual tribute to name the trophy after him. And then, yeah, the Jennifer Hudson, um, you know, song plus video montage, it absolutely, I, I, I think the whole place was probably in tears by the end of that. And, and, you know, uh, others had their own tributes along the way and there were videos and all sorts of stuff, but I think the NBA really did it right. They did it really well. Um, I got to say that like when it got to halftime and I was trying to remember who was performing, um, but where they, they, they basically did yet, yet another one. And at that point it was kind of like, man, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. These, these, like the emotions yeah. are strong. And so at a certain point I felt like, man, we, we need to, to, you know, change up the, the mood a little bit here. Plus you're, you're, you're halfway through the game. Um, so, that, you know, I, if, if I were going to nitpick, I'd say, you know, they, they, they needed a lighter touch at, at, by, by the halftime show. And I also thought that David Stern got a little overlooked in all of this. He was mm-hmm. mentioned frequently. Magic Johnson talked about David Stern before he started talking about Kobe in, in the pregame um, address to the fans. And Stern was mentioned by Adam Silver over the weekend, too. But I just thought David Stern meant so much to this league. Greatest commissioner probably in the history of sports. And you know, the all-star weekend itself is such a tribute to him in terms of its existence and its success over the years. And so I really thought that they could have and should have done more to recognize him. David Stern, um, it it wouldn't surprise me if people who knew him best would have said, you know what, he would have wanted the focus to be on on the player, on Kobe and not on himself. Yeah, but but I I was with you though, because when Mar- at David Stern's funeral uh, memorial service, at, uh, when Mark Stein came up to me and he said, you know, you you did the last interview with David. I go, really? And he, he gave us 90 minutes at his office in Manhattan. We made it a two-parter. Yeah. It was like, I couldn't believe that he was, of course, I, w- I was talking to him like a guy who had covered him a long time ago. I wasn't covering him in the moment because I wouldn't have said some of the things I said to him. But he was so gracious, reflective, humorous. And, and yeah, part of me was the same way, Howard. I was like, why, what, you know, David Stern was, was an icon in his world just as much as Kobe was in his. And, but you're right though. If you, if David Stern were looking down on us he was alive, he'd go, ah, shut up, you guys. It's about the players. It's not about the commissioner. He totally would. And he'd insult both of us for even right. bringing it up because we're, we're, we're morons for even suggesting it. But, um, <laughs> but and, and that's the thing for all of the, ego and swagger than David Stern himself had. And he certainly thought of quite a bit of himself. He knew what the league was about. It was about the players. It was about the game. And he would have never said that he was more important than somebody like Kobe Bryant. And he probably would be totally fine with the way that they handled this. All that said, one video montage, one video montage is all I ask. I think that yeah. there could have been something just to, to show Stern through the years and to mark the, the occasion and to, to make it clear that, that we're not all sitting here at this amazing event without his vision, his creativity, his, his uh, muscle to, to, to move this league and into the places that it's gone. Um, I, I, I think that now that said, I haven't asked anybody at the league about it. And I'd be curious to know how they decided how to, how much time to spend on 
Kobe versus how relatively little time they spent on my, Davis. My my guess is Adam Silver is you know f- for all the criticism he got over Hong Kong and w- some of which was deserved. I I thought the the way I, I, he's the kind of person to me that would like call up Diane Stern and say, "Would you like to have a montage yeah. tribute?" And she would say. I don't think David would want that anymore. We did a great job at the funeral, but who knows? The bottom line is you're right. They could have, I I, I think they did a great job. I'm still, and this is going to sound jaded maybe a little bit because I guess my last interview with Kobe was in 2016 uh, outside the New Orleans Pelicans locker room on his final farewell tour. And it was something for the undefeated I was doing on sort of who's the real Kobe and trying to sort of make my own thoughts about him. But and and obviously I wasn't close to him like Sha- Shaq and Shaq is just a different guy too. Even if I if even if I didn't do a you know a book with him, he was just a different. He was he would open himself up to you a little more. Kobe was a lyric guy. I'm kind of blown away by the adulation that just it's like Princess Diana like, and and part of me is like, well, well when are we going to let this go? And then the other part of me is like, who am I to judge how? you know, how someone like that impacted someone else that I have no idea, you know, w- w- what he did for him or how many times he watched him and, and emulated him, some kid that grew up with him. And you heard all the make-a-wish stories. And and I kind of I kind of resigned myself to saying, I might not be as broken up about it at this point as some people are, but who am I to judge them? And that's, I'm going to leave it at that because otherwise I'll just feel like a schmuck. I, you know, it, it's interesting because I, I, I've thought about this as well. And, and one of the things that hit me in the first few days after the crash was I, for all the, you know, times that I talked to him, all the years that I covered him, I was I was on the beat for seven years. So that's, you know, a lot of Lakers seasons and the three championships with Shaq. And I'm, you know, I move east and I'm, you know, I'm still covering him from a distance for the times. But I don't think I ever really grasped how great of an impact, how widespread of, of an influence he mm. was for people. Um, maybe part of it was the distance that I've been out here in New York for so long and, and wasn't there in L.A. to see him lift them all the way back to the championship twice with Pau Gasol. I mean, I was there well, for the also, finals, and, I, also ma- and also mature as a, as a guy, as a, as a dad. Of course, yes. The, 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 he added new, other dimensions to himself, um, yeah. and that one in particular as a family man. But I, I just think that I didn't have a, as, as much of a grasp as I would have thought I did on just how deeply he impacted people and how many people. When you started seeing the footage of all the memorials and all the tributes, everything yeah. outside Staples Center, all these people, you know, photos coming in from around the world of court, you know, murals painted on basketball courts in, in you know, you know, far flung places on the on the globe, and you go, oh my God, I like I. I didn't grasp it. it I, yeah. I, I didn't really know because so much of his career, he was so polarizing the way he played sometimes, the way he carried himself sometimes. And so to see that, I, I was I was blown away. And so to your point, like I, that's why, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't judge anybody for how long they may be grieving this because yeah. he really did inspire people, Mike, in a in a really uh, deep and meaningful way. I got I, I referenced this in the column that I wrote a few weeks back. But I got a text from somebody who I know who works in, in politics who, you know, is, is young enough to have come up on Kobe as a fan. And he's in a you know, significant place in the, in the political world. And he's saying, Kobe inspired me to, to, to do this job, not because Kobe had anything to do with politics, but just 
the mindset that Kobe applied to basketball, this person applied to, mm-hmm. you know, their craft in trying to make an impact in, in, in the political world. And so like hearing pe- from people yeah. like that, it, it just, it just really hits you. Yeah. It, and it for, I forgot too, how close you and Kelly Conway, Kelly and Conway were too. That's, that's <laughs> the thing. I just really, yeah, hilarious. Uh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. We don't, we don't want to get into politics, although the democratic Happen. debate was incredible. Um, all right. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, Howard Beck is my guest and as usual, he's on the money on so many levels. I think, uh, before we get on to the next league business, my gut is the next Kobe, uh, real, uh, well, I think there'll be something in the playoffs where there'll be this Mamba mentality and people will talk about it. But I, but I really think that the hall of fame will, will honor him this year, uh, a year early than he was supposed to be inducted because of his posthumous stature now. And I think that that will be, that will be the next big Kobe moment for everyone. Um, your thoughts. Oh, wait, what am I talking about? The funeral's coming up. Well, so the, there's the public the memorial. memorial. The memorial will be on Monday um, in LA at Staples Center. I unfortunately are you going to go to that? Not, no, I, I thought about it. It's just uh, logistically and otherwise, it was just going to be tough for me to to make it out there. And there's a part of me too, Mike, just to kind of go back to our you know our discussion of a few minutes ago. Like I feel kind of wrung out at this point um, mm. personally. You know, I, I wrote about it on the day it happened, and it, I've said many times it was the hardest thing I ever had to write. But I, I put my heart into that, and I. I I, I very much wanted to honor him in, in the right way. And I think I did then I did a video essay that ran on TNT and that w- there was a day later, two days later, and that took a lot. And I just feel like for me personally, as somebody who, you know, we weren't like best buddies, we weren't, you know, bowling pals, but like I knew him for 23 years and he defined my career in, in so many ways. And I, I feel like I've, I've, I've I've paid my tributes. I've I've honored him in the way that I feel like I I can as a person and as a professional, as a writer. Um, so I'm not going to go on on Monday. It, it it is a it is a hall, obviously. Um, but that'll be the next thing, and then and then the Hall of Fame. Um, he actually is eligible this year, regardless, because they the, the Hall of Fame had changed its rules to go with a three year uh, gap after retirement. Ah, you're right. So, Correct. And so so he was always going to be part of this amazing class with. Uh, Duncan and Garnett, and 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 still will be, but sadly, you know, will not get to to stand up there with those guys um, in the fall, and that that's going to be a really interesting and an emotionally conflicting moment as well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. If, if you haven't checked it out, and I'll, we will post it because this show runs the day of the memorial in Los Angeles. The two minute, I think it was like two minute twenty second video you did for Turner. Um, and, and the essay along with it was just that, yeah, that was, that was like, you opened a vein and just let it flow and, and your heart came out in ways that, um, it's funny because I remember in a weird way, like we'd be at some practice and, and either Kobe was pissed off about something or something. And, and I would just look at you and go, this guy's a dick. And you'd be like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, he really is. And then like, and here we are, like. I mean, my son walks into the uh, room. The first time I really cried about it, my son walks in and I try, he was nine years old. And I told him, you're going to hear about this at school. It's the only time I've really talked to you about somebody dying. But, you know, this, this is, this is going to be a big deal. And I know, you know, I talked about him a lot. And I know you watch videos, but he died. And he goes, dad. And then he looks at the, he looks at the video tribute of him and he goes, he was only 41, dad. That's, 
And he only he lived four years after he retired. And man, he went up to bed. I just lost it on the couch because I was mm-hmm. like realizing like, geez, yeah, well, irrespective of whether he was a famous guy or one of the greatest basketball players of all time, you know, God, who like he's got this not just Gianna, but there's surviving kids, his daughter that didn't get to know him. The two others are just like it's it's heart wrenching. I mean, it just it, it just hit me hard. Yeah, and it, no, and and it's so much different than this guy. I wonder, like, okay, did people feel this way about James Dean or Jim Moore? Like, what if Jim Morrison was playing mobile home shows in in two thousand and twenty, and he did, but but because he died young, everybody remembers it. But but Kobe was a special individual beyond basketball. I mean, shit, he won a freaking Oscar. Yeah, no, it, it's it's all those things. It's it's as we said, the dimensions that he added over the course of his career and after his career. Um, the passion that he had for everything that he did, in, including fatherhood, in, you know, including youth basketball, including film, including storytelling, all of these things. And, and I, I just think that it's all those various ways that he touched people. And, and yeah, look, you and I, you know, covering a Laker practice back in 2002 or something, and he was in one of his snits or something or whatever. I'm, I, yeah. We, we see these guys, Two things. We see them at their best and their worst because we're covering everything that they do, all their highs and all their lows. And so we're going we're gonna to get the full range. And two, somebody like Kobe who comes in at age 18, um, we saw him go from being basically a kid when he first gets on the stage to, you know, into his early 20s and then mid-20s, late 20s. Like all of us evolved, hopefully, over the course of those years. And in, and in his case, and in, in all these guys' cases, they're doing it on this very public stage, and so every wart is exposed, and every you know every bad mood you know is is you know exaggerated and, and amplified, and so. Um, but I always you know I tried to keep those things in perspective. Shaq had that too, and you know, a lot of guys, and and you know you get to know them well enough to try to you know figure out how to compartmentalize. Like okay, yeah, that was messed up that what he said or what he did on this given day, but. I know this other side of him and, you know, I'll, 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 you know, let these things balance each other out. And so, yeah, it was, you know, it was a roller coaster mm. ride with the, with the Lakers for me anyway, in general, those seven years, because those guys were all over the map. They were such a drama machine, oh. but on the whole, you know, I liked him. And I always tell this quick, I'll just real quick one to wrap up. Yeah, this yeah. Kobe, when I'm out there, the first few years, especially we got along great. And then things got tense there for a while with a bunch of different things going on with Shaq and him getting Kobe getting married at a young age and his, his you know tensions with his family and he started to pull back from us a little bit and then on the whole Colorado well, right and and so all exactly and that's and that too of course but but I think there were tensions and a and a pullback by him and some walls that went up before Colorado happened um, so people often single that out as like well that's where he went into this this darker place or more closed off. It was happening before that for other reasons. But I leave in 2004 to go to New York. And, you know, he and, he and I had, had our all plenty of ups, ups and downs or whatever. The, I start going back as a Knicks beat writer for the Times. And, like, the first time I walk in, it's like I was his long-lost pal from junior high. He's like, <laughs> hey, what's up, Beck? Oh, big, you know, Mr. New York, big time. What's going on? But all of a sudden, it's like, because if you're not there every day, for all those highs and lows, being mm. a pain in the ass, asking all the questions they don't want to answer, and now you're just the guy who parachutes in occasionally, it's a whole different thing. But yeah. I also, but I also think that 
when you've gone through all that over the course of years, um, there is a certain weird bond, even though we have a, a, a necessarily oh. uh, uh, a necessarily adversarial relationship sometimes with the people we cover. You live through this stuff. So now every time I see Brian Shaw, Robert Ory, Rick Fox, Derek Fisher, like there's this thing that we all shared from different sides of it. Oh no, you're right. This, and and it and and so like like I I think that's really cool. Yeah, everybody says there's players and everybody else. Yeah, that's true when you walk in the locker room and and the the seminal. Uh, the crucible of a season is going on, but when it's all is said and done, pe- people don't remember, they, they remember their championships, but they remember their relationships with people. And that includes the people that talk to them every day and question them and ask them, you know, uh, great questions or dumb questions. The bottom line is there's a, there's a relationship that develops over time. And uh, yeah, I mean, but before we get into the rest of the league, I mean, this guy across the street from me on the cul-de-sac I live in in Chevy Chase Somebody said, uh, yeah, he, he he was Oakley's booster in high school. Like, Charles Oakley? Yeah, I covered him with the Knicks. Oh, yeah, this guy was his booster at Virginia Union and his family, and he still comes to visit the family somehow. I go, oh, comes over here? And so sure enough, you know, uh, we have probably three um, uh, three aging black families on my street, but, but my wife one day, she goes, honey, I know you're very diverse and we have friends of all colors, but there is three large black men walking up our steps right now. And sure enough, <laughs> Oak comes to visit me at my front door and says, what the hell are you doing? And, and I take pictures with him with my kids. And it's like, oh, you know, Charles Oakley is like, you know, he probably hated some of the stuff I wrote, but he was that guy. You know, he wanted to see what I was up to. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And I, and I, it, it is. It, it, it doesn't matter how much we like. We piss these guys off. We ask questions right. they don't want to answer. Whatever. Like you go through all this stuff, but like you you live through these seasons and all that stuff, and it's it it, it is it's it, it is like it's this it's this shared experience and at a, at a really important part of of their lives and for ours too in a, in a lot yeah. of ways, especially if, if these were great teams. And so it does. It creates you know for better or worse, it creates this weird kind of bond. And and um, yeah. yeah, I, I think it's right. cool. All right, uh, more of Howard Beck and um, his fellow uh, middle-aged white man being down with the fellas here on the uh, Mike Wise show. <laughs> We're going to uh, let the let's go let's peel back to the league really quickly. I, there's all kinds of angles out there, and um, I mean I think it's interesting because shoot, who would who would who would have thought Milwaukee is pursuing 70 wins? That to me, I remember being there um, the night that Michael Jordan and the Incredibles. Won 70 games uh, in uh, in Milwaukee and and it sort of broke the record or whatever. Maybe it was 72 games. And I would just remember being there and thinking, "Wow, that's never going to happen again." And of course, the Warriors have done it now, and and now Giannis. Did I'd love to see a? This is just me. I'd love to see a Milwaukee Lakers final because it's definitely it's it's the resistance against the Empire, you know, the first order. And LeBron and AD are the first order, and it's you know it's 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 the small market, the big market. That's just me. I'm sure the league wants something else, Boston and LA or something. Where are you? Um, I mean, I'm always kind of agnostic on these things. I mean, I do think that one would be fun. Um, I also think that Milwaukee versus anybody is going to be interesting, just because the way I look at that team, and I've I've written this before. Like the Bucks are, are are if they're gonna do it, they're gonna do it a different way than what we've usually seen, right? For the last, we've been this this super team era for the last like twelve years, starting with that Celtics team, and then through the the, the Heatles and the Warriors, and now we're in this post super team era, at least for the moment. 
you know, you can call the Lakers or Clippers a super team, but they've got two. It's not three. It's not something, you know, this, this obscene kind of wealth of talent. And the drop-off after those top two for the Lakers and Clippers is, is, is significant. But the Bucks are one. And I know Chris Middleton's an, all, an all-star a couple times over, but Chris Middleton is not in that tier of, like, Dwayne Wade next to LeBron or, you know, you know any, any of those other groupings that we could talk about. <laughs> um, Chris Middleton's a very good defender and a, and a very good scorer and shooter, but you're not game planning for a Chris Middleton. And if, and if, and if Giannis is off the court, you're not worried that Chris Middleton might single-handedly wreck you. You're, you're not game planning for him. So the, the Bucks are really about Giannis and a incredibly well-calibrated and disciplined group around him that's perfectly suited to play with him. And they're using that to such great effect that, yes, they may actually win 70 games. And every team that's ever won in that range, I think, has won a championship other than that Warriors team that something strange happened to. But um, – I'm, I'm just curious to see it. I'm curious to see how it holds together through multiple rounds of the playoffs and the top of the East. The East is now like five deep and, you know, Boston's legit. Uh, the Toronto, even without Kawhi is, is, is legit. Philly is, is goofy, but at their best, they're legit. And the heat I think is legit, although they're a little bit young and, and that would be a, a pretty tall order for them in, in year one. But, you know, I'm I'm curious to see it. Um, yeah. I do think the Bucks should win the East, but I don't think it's a guarantee. And then, yeah, they're probably going up against the Lakers or Clippers, and that clash of 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 I don't want to say styles, but of of models will be fun. Yeah, I, I I'm the one thing I'm not looking forward to in the playoffs, and I'm sure it'll be great in its own ways, and new scar new stars will be discovered. But you know, obviously, Kyrie Irving's out for season-ending surgery on his shoulder. Uh, the Warriors, I know they weren't going to be in the in the in the contender hunt, but they did confirm Clay Thompson is now out for the season, probably realizing it's a lost season. I don't expect the Wizards to bring back John Wall, but then you never know because of what's going on in the East, and who knows. And um, but it's I look at all the there's there's so many good players that are going to be out this postseason, and uh, and I'm still bummed that the the Blazers never really put the, the pieces around Damian Lillard that they probably should have um, to make that, to make that, to make that team another finals contender again. But I'm, I hate to say this, but it's, it's down to like the battle for LA and whether James Harden and, uh, and Russ can get things together. Yeah. But, but I would, I would look at this, Mike, like here, there's the optimist view of, of the Western conference race. The Nuggets are really deep, and no, they don't have any like as great as Jokic is. He's he's not you know he's not a LeBron or Kawhi type, right? But the Nuggets have a lot going for them. They can make it difficult for you. They can make a great series. The Jazz they've been up and down. And they've had some injury issues, and especially with Mike Conley. But Utah has a lot going for it defensively. They've got some added dynamism, I think, this season offensively. They can make an interesting series. You take and Don, and Donovan two, Mitchell and Rudy Gobert healthy. I like I like that team going, yeah. going if not to the conference finals, at least to the deep in the second round. Right. So so there it, it we don't it, we don't have to worry about it being like oh well it's just the two LA teams and nothing. No no these other teams are going to push those teams all the way yeah, through. Good point. May, that's a good point. Depending on how the brackets go, we 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 might end up with LA versus LA in the conference finals, and that would be a blast. But to get there, they're both going to get tested. I'm convinced of that. And the Rockets are in that conversation, too, because as, as, many, you know, as much skepticism as I may have about that team, ultimately, um, 
that's a heck of a one-two punch. And, you, you know, you, you probably beat them if you're one of those other teams we're talking about, but you're going to have to earn it. So the, the West could be – both conferences, the playoffs have the potential to be a lot of fun despite the long list of players, unfortunately, who are out already because of injury. Uh, any any insight on John Beeline out in Cleveland? Um, I still go back to someone we uh, spoke to, um, and he, he told us this story uh, off the record, and uh, basically that this is a guy who's a legend in this game and sort of reached out to Beeline about, you know, just helping out with players or anything. Beeline never even got back to the guy. And I'm Oof. thinking, is this guy just this arrogant, or he's is he threatened? Is he uh, is he threatened by another NBA presence that's been here before, or he's just the you know the classic old school college coach that just couldn't coach in uh, in the NBA? I don't get it because because yeah. I loved his everywhere he went, West Virginia, Michigan. I loved his offense. In the NBA, and you know this as well as anyone, Mike, you covering the league is longer longer than me. It it's never just about your basketball acumen. It, it, it's it's never just about your playbook and your ability to write, you know, to, to uh, draw up great out of time out plays. It's, it's always about um, communication and connecting with guys, ego management, and especially in today's game, even more so than when I started covering this league, it really is about being a collaborator with the players and not being the boss of the players. And, and the general that's... manager and the, and the front office. Yes. You're yeah, right. and you got to right. You got to collaborate up and collaborate down. You got to, you know, it's it, it's it's everyone's got to be uh, in line with each other. Um, you're not, you're not. It's not the 1950s. You're you're not, you know, just you know, screaming, smashing things, and and telling guys, you know, do it do it the way I say, or you're gonna come sit next to me. Like, no, these these guys are all adults. They're multimillionaires. They're incredibly wealthy, um, and you've got people working in the front office who have other considerations about guys health and all this other stuff like you have to collaborate you are not a a, a one-man dictatorship and so i don't know if that was beeline style although it sounds like there were elements of that um there have been other coaches in recent years who have you know lost their their hold in this league i think because they're a little bit too much of that old model you gotta you gotta evolve and you gotta be able to communicate with guys and work with them and that's 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 where the nba is right now the last thing i, I was going to ask you is um are you just real quickly legit title contenders, two or three teams or more that you think can win the whole thing? I know what you're it, gonna say, but I want to hear from you because you're smarter. I, I picked the Clippers in October, and um, right, I, think I, I think I, I think I picked them in July actually. Um, and so, um, I, I'm gonna stick with them, not uh, just out of being stubborn, um, but maybe that. Uh, it, it's the Clippers to me, we haven't seen him at full strength yet enough. And so I, it, there's a little bit of an assumption going on here. I just think that if healthy in the postseason, when you put Paul George next to Kawhi Leonard, next to Patrick Beverly, throw Marcus Morris in there, Montrose Harrell, whatever, their defensive ability and ability to switch everything is really impressive. And, I think that, that the offensive dynamism comes from you know Kawhi being able to create just about any kind of shot for himself, um, and you know has become a better playmaker for others too. Paul George can 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 move the ball. Lou Williams is great. Um, they've just got a lot of, of uh, dimensions to them. Whereas the Lakers, they're great, and LeBron and AD together are 
devastating. But it's really about those two. Everybody else just kind of chips in where they can. Nobody else is going to create anything on their own. So they're very reliant on their two stars. Now, that said, in the playoffs, you shorten your rotation. You ride them guys as long as you need to. My concern for the Lakers is LeBron has gone, you know, so uh, so hard for so many games this oh. season to get them back to this spot and to, to reassert himself. And it's been amazing that he's doing this at, at age 35 and in year 17. I just – I worry a little bit about what he's going to have left for the playoffs. Yeah. And that, and – so um, I'll, I'll stick I'll stick with the Clippers, but both those teams obviously are legit contenders. The Bucks are obviously a legit contender. The other teams that I like, I don't I won't go any further in the West. The rest of those teams I think ultimately do lose. It's either it's one of the LA teams in the East. I'm not ruling out the possibility of uh, Toronto or Boston coming out. Ooh, you just made my producer's night, boss. You think the Celtics could win the thing still? I think they can. Wow. I'm not okay. saying they will. I'm just yeah. saying they can. No, you're right. This is the this is a year to get it. This is it. I mean, this is you know before the Warriors reload, before everybody else gets healthy again, before the Nets, uh, Kyrie gets healthy and Kevin Durant here's, gets his gets yeah. his swagger and, back. And here's the thing. Here's here's the thing, Mike. To go back to this real quick before the Bucks yeah. think I'm I'm just picking on them or or selling them short. The Bucks are amazing and they should come out of the East. And they, you know, there's a they probably will. But <clears throat> excuse me, the the Celtics. The, what I like about them, no, they don't have any one players as good as Giannis, but the number of ways they can go on a given possession to get something done, whether it's Tatum or Brown or Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward, there's just a, a lot more options and, 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 uh, and, and layers there with the, the Bucks. Some of those guys, too, in that supporting cast have some shaky playoff history. You know, Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, um, like, you know, is, is, is Middleton going to be able to drop 20, 25 a night in the playoffs consistently? I just don't know if I, if I'm trusting their supporting cast enough. And so sometimes I look at the team and I, 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 I and the depth impresses me more and that's the Celtics. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I'm rooting. I kind of, I have a little rooting interest for the Clippers because of our friend Lee Jenkins, who obviously worked at the times and then Sports Illustrated, and somehow got a job in, in in basketball ops with the Clippers, I guess, playing amateur psychologist with players. And the bottom line is, if they win at all, those jobs, people are going to hire more Lee Jenkins, and me and you can get jobs with teams <laughs> and really a lot of money. That's the way I, I want the Lee Jenkins job with any team, Howard. I, I will take. I'll, I'll even go to Memphis. Or Well, Memphis is actually good now. But whatever team sucks, I'll go to if they give me a Lee Jenkins job. Well, first of all, I don't know exactly what Lee does for the Clippers. No, neither do I. That's the great thing. Kind of like, uh, but yes, by all means, if the Clippers win NBA teams, it proves that you need a really good writer, preferably one with the New York Times on their resume, to come work for you at at like you know seven figures. Um, It's obviously the new wave. It's obviously the new path forward. You want to be on the vanguard. Don't get left behind. Grab a New York Times alum while you can. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, and, and if not, just buy us out of our contracts. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. Thank you, right, sir. Which, this which, was... which, of us, which of us is getting hired by Dolan, you or me? Oh, God. I, if I don't hold on to this TV job in D.C., probably me. I, and and I, I won't even take a job that co- takes money. I, I, might be like, I might be just one of those media minders where I watch other people interview people so I can t- report back to Dolan on what they said. I'll do that. If 
All right. Thank you, sir. This was great. Um, all the best to you, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you down the line soon. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for having me. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. You know, I have a confession to make today. Howard Beck, uh, he wrote an essay about Kobe. We talked about it briefly on the podcast. I hadn't read it. I thought I read something else that was about Kobe written by him. It wasn't the main essay. This piece that he wrote, The Making of an NBA Icon, before Kobe Bryant became the merciless mamba focused on mastering the art of NBA stardom, he distinguished himself with his intellectual curiosity and a hunger for personal connection. This is a really special story. It starts out, Howard, do you need me today? And it's, it says, the voice came from behind me, but I knew who was asking before I turned my head. Kobe Bryant was striding across the gym at L.A. Southwest College. Kobe was 19, a Lakers reserve in his second season. And, he, and, and before everything that happened to him later, he was just Kobe, a swaggering, charismatic kid from Lower Marion High School who spoke fluent Italian and played a little like Jordan. And he talks about, you know, he was a handful of beat writers that got to know him. And then it gets near the end. And man, I, I almost lost it uh, when I read this for the first time. I feel it's worth repeating. He writes, it's been several hours since the news broke. My fingers are still trembling, my throat swollen, my head in a fog. In this job, you never know an athlete as well as you think you do or would like to. But I know this, Kobe cared deeply about basketball, about legacy, about family, about being the best he could possibly be in whatever he was doing at that moment, whether playing, parenting, or creating. Weeks before he retired in 2016, I paid Kobe a brief visit after a Lakers game. I told him I wanted to say thanks and congratulations. I wasn't planning to attend his final game. What, he bellowed with a glare and a smile. You can't be here at 17 and not be here for fucking 37, man. He smacked me on the chest with the back of his hand. Come on, man, finish the journey, man. And so I did. And I got to witness the greatest send-off send game a player has ever scripted. I had the privilege of watching and writing about Kobe just about every day for seven years in L.A. and sporadically after moving to New York in 2004. We, we writers are only as good as the material we work with, the people we encounter, the performances we witness, the characters we explore. Kobe provided so much for so many, and for that I'm forever indebted. Howard, do you need me? Yes. Yes, I did. Thanks, Kobe. I mean, Coward Beck, the senior writer for Bleacher Report, a good friend, that, that's just touching. And um, I wanted to share that with everybody. And it's the least I could do as um, we, we still mourn the loss of the Mamba. Thanks for being with us again this week. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.